This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 17 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Index Fund Advisors, IFA.com, and Equus Online University. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to Horsemanship Radio. Our guests today have both been fortunate to spend their entire lives with horses, and their greatest legacy is that they are so willing to share with us their love of the nature of the horse. I love that, Glenn. This is Glenn Hebert. My producer's with me today. Hey, Debbie. Hey, how are you? Good. Good. I'm excited to share today with you somebody that I don't think you've ever had on your network before, Stacy Clark, and then somebody who you've had a, little, a few times, Monty Roberts. <laughs> I'm excited to share that they've got a kind of a theme going on here. Even though we, we didn't uh, put them on together, we have two different interviews going. You wouldn't believe their parallel lives. Very good. Yeah, I've never spoken to Stacy before, so I'm excited to hear what she has to say. And I know you guys had an exciting weekend at the ranch. Oh, my gosh. We had an exciting three weeks, believe it or not. The last we spoke, Glenn, um, I was on the beach. That's right. Above, yeah, (laughs) near Morro Bay, California. And the day after we did that, we started on a a marathon of five different events, um, bringing in people from all over the world to um, talk about their their um, take on what they do with horses, elephants, and instructing people. And we had um, speakers come in for the Instructors uh, Global Forum. And then we, ha- we went straight into a training for Train the Trainers for Horses and Soldiers. And then we went straight into a Horses and Soldiers workshop, um, a course, a weekend. So it was really fun. Very good. And, you know, um, whether, what, how was the turnout for the Horses and Soldiers? Was it... Oh, we always have, you know, we have, um, we try to keep it to 10 to 15 max, depending on if they've returned, what their support is, like if they have their family with them or just one or two, because we only have so much room in right. the room right. and, and, and so many horses to work with. But we had a great turnout because we had um, a bunch of our instructors were able to stay on and work with the soldiers too, um, which was really fun. And um, we had people that had been deployed over five times in some cases and some people there right from the Vandenberg Air Force Base locally, Ventura Base. We have several bases uh, within the Tri-County area that we live in and uh, some came from Orange County as well. So um, it was a huge turnout, but fortunately we had these extra instructors from all over. We had Jenny from Finland. We had Chris Morris from the UK. We had Maya Horsey from the U.S. She's our head master instructor. Uh, we had uh, two interns that are right on the cusp of getting their cert- certificate. We had Caroline Jennings from Ireland. Some of these people we've even had on the show. On the show, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was, really, it was really exciting, really fun to see them work with. We also had a, a Dr. William Miller who um, has worked in motivational interviewing. It's a, it's a type of um, change therapy. And we feel like that's what we do with horses. We give them choices to become our partners or not. And when they're not, they're just 
able to work. And when they do make the choice to be with us and, and work um, in tune with us to achieve some sort of discipline, whether it's writing or whether we're doing groundwork with them, um, we're going to talk about liberty training today with dad a little bit. And so that is the ultimate choice scenario. And I feel like that's sort of like what we do with the veterans. You know, these guys are, they show up, they don't pay anything to do it. It's their choice to be there and it's their choice to, um, work with a horse or not and to make changes or not. So they watch the horse making choices to trust them. And there's a little bit of vice versa going on. And it's, it's a beautiful picture. Hmm. I think it's an amazing program and, and Mm. Much needed. I mean, right now, you know, of course, you know, we have all of the veterans scandals going on right now with the VA. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it is good. And I think that because of that, what we've seen happening is that their private organizations are stepping up to help the veterans, especially on the mm-hmm. mental side of things, mm-hmm. uh, with the emotional and mental side of things, uh, that the private sector has stepped up. And thank God they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't think the VA really has all the answers, and I think they would admit that as well. Um, and that's, I think that's where private uh, industry, and especially horse advocates, can really come in because there's a big difference between a flight animal and, uh, and what it can do for the inside of you versus almost anything else. And that's, I include animal therapy in that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, it's really fun. So, um, so I, I, I want to share with you, Stacy, because she has um, both the background in horses, but also the background in work with veterans, and um, totally understands the back of a horse as well as the inside of a a, a, a person. And she advocates for um, she does some retirement work with thoroughbreds and uh, advocates giving those horses over to new jobs that help people and themselves. And we'll speak to Stacy right after this word from IFA.com. Hi, I'm Mark Hebner, president of Index Fund Advisors and proud owner of Monty Roberts' Willing Partners graduate, He's a Sugar Bear. <laughs> you know, investment portfolios are a lot like horses. You need to find one that best suits you, your temperament, and your stage of life. Some people might like an energetic horse and an aggressive investment portfolio, while others are more comfortable with a gentle ride and a more conservative investment portfolio. The trick is to find the one that's right for you. That's what Index Fund Advisors is all about, matching people with portfolios, risk-appropriate, low-cost, and globally diversified investment portfolios. You can find the right portfolio for you by taking the Risk Capacity Survey at ifa.com, that's IFA as an index fund advisors, or you can call us toll free at 888-643-3133. That's 888-643-3133. Stacy Clark was raised around thoroughbred racing. Her mother a trainer, her father an owner, Stacy started working at the racetrack over the summers while attending university. Galloping horses in the morning and working in the media and in the publicity department in the afternoons, uh, horses took up almost all of her life. 
Stacy went on to work in the film and television industry in Toronto, Canada for four years. And then she rode races for two and a half years. And believe it or not, she was nominated for the Sovereign Award as an Outstanding Apprentice in 1994. You see her picture. She looks like she's 12 years old. But recently, Stacy has developed and managed the Adina Spring Aftercare Program. It's a thoroughbred aftercare program uh, of Gulfstream Park. And uh, oh, that's two different programs. And the Santa Anita Fund of California. Welcome, Stacy Clark. We're so excited to have you here, Stacy, because you have a, a, a long career. Do you want to get us started off with um, a little bit about what you're doing right now in the horse industry? I know you have a long life of it, but what's your, um, what's your current position right now? What are you doing with horses? Okay, thanks, Deb. Um, yeah, I do a lot of things. I basically like to tell everyone I do what I'm told. Um, but uh, one, of the, one of the big things that we, uh, the company they work for, which is the Stronic Group, uh, we have farms and racetracks and training centers. And, um, you know, part of the company mandate and the farm mandate is to have an exit plan, a strategy for our uh, commodity, which is the horses. And so at the, uh, at the track level, at the farm level, and at a national, um, you know, uh, volunteer level and uh, enthusiast level of part of an industry concern, um, we're involved in the, the aftercare of thoroughbreds, rehoming, re- retraining, rehabilitating, and uh, finding funding projects that can help uh, make that a more secure part of our industry at every level. Oh, that's fantastic. I mean, that's what I was with Stacy last week and we got to talking and um, I just love your heart and I love what you're doing for the thoroughbred industry to um, to give everybody the back scene um, and get us in love with with the racing industry um, because we've kind of lost that. I, I, I see it on TV and it's a bit distant from, you know, a hundred years ago when I was um, <laughs> being raised with mom and dad in the thoroughbred industry, I feel like people need to get in touch with horses again. And that's why I wanted you to talk about your heart with horses and, and uh, yeah. what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you, Deb, I grew up at the track. My mom was a trainer um, and my dad, you know, owned horses. It's an interesting thing that's happened over the years. Um, it's not unlike a lot of sports, the same sort of thing has happened in cycling and, and other sports mm-hmm. where um, enhanced performance has become an issue and a concern and an athlete's concern. You know, we used to highlight football players, uh, accident reels, uh, you know, on, on Friday night football. Yeah. And, and we don't do that anymore because, you know, the concussions are a bad thing. Uh, we're more concerned about the welfare of our athletes um, in horse racing. And it, as, we, as we are, I think consciousness is changing about just how we treat everything. And um, it, I actually am more excited about horse racing in the last, you know, 10, 5 to 10 years because of the change of people's perceptions of what's important and taking care of the animal and uh, the mandate to do everything from um, having a good perception and actually, you know, kind of getting the people that aren't good for the game out of the game and getting the people that are good for the game, um, you know, the right uh, limelight and credit for being just great horse people. That's right, yeah. That, and it is going that way. I, I truly believe that too, which is... Uh, um, a good thing for people to understand. And, and I know that you're involved in the media side of the business as well, which is a good excuse to keep you in touch with horses. I love that. <laughs> but, um, I, I feel like those backstories that we hear about the owners and how well they treat the horses are, are really important. And that's helping too. Is that still going to be the, I think, are well, you investing you know, I, in that? Yeah, I think it's hard to, um, you know, for people to, you know, I, 
I was told in a comparison that, that the police departments often get this sort of thing where people always go on about the bad things that they're doing and they never mm-hmm. highlight, you know, all the good stuff that people are doing. And I think that's common in most industries. Uh, if it bleeds, it leads. A lot of people want to hear the bad <laughs> news as opposed to the good news. So if, you know, we can be more... Um, more active in telling our good story about horse racing and telling the good story of the good people. Um, it's a more exciting event that way. Yeah, good. Well, you've won awards at it. Um, Sovereign Awards, Best Television Production in 1999 and 2004, and you've been a commentator. You've been. What's your favorite side of the media side? Is it more the production side or out front? Um, I, I don't do so much out front anymore, and that's okay. It was fun. Um, it's a nice venue. It's a good way to approach it. I actually like uh, helping produce productions with the people that have helped me um, with HRTV or when I was on the uh, Woodbine team. Um, it's fun to put people's stories together and to uh, highlight their horses. And, you know, it's a lot of work. Horses aren't an overnight you know, it's always funny when, you know, somebody's been in the business 30 years and then all of a sudden they're, quote, unquote, an overnight success. Mm. Well, that, everyone knows that doesn't happen. But um, it's nice to be there to um, help relay somebody's story and show how the horses have enhanced their life. And I think that's a, a big part of it for me. Good. we like to see more of that, too. I, and, and this year's... Uh, Triple Crown Potential, I guess we'll call it that, with uh, California Chrome. And um, there's a lot of people that are looking at thoroughbred industry right now. What would you like them to see if you had their, um, if you had their ear and their eyes? What would you like them to, to well, think I'd about? Well, like you know, a, a good outcome of this race. Uh, you know, California Chrome looks like a nice horse. He looks like the real deal. Um, these are nice people. They're good, hardworking a trainer who's been in the industry for a long time. And he is a um, astute athlete. It's nice that he's a cowbred. You guys must all love that out there. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, there's a, a home of the chrome. That's all I heard last weekend. I was in California, home of the chrome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's exciting. And it brings, I think, too, from another perspective in racing, we always have this distance feeling about what's happening in California versus what's happening out east. And we don't really know what's happening, you know, together. And this way, it kind of brings the nation together. Here it is, a, a cow Brad running on the East Coast, and everybody wants to be there. It's going to be an exciting weekend, and uh, everybody from all sides of the country will, mm-hmm. will definitely be interested in what happens. Well, that's good. I'm, I'm glad to hear your assessment of, of the horse flesh. He is, he's quite an athlete, and uh, you've been a jockey, and uh, I read a little bit about that in your bio, but um, as do you ever get when there's such a, a big um, focus on the jockey who just loves this horse and and Art Sherman who's like you said a trainer for what is he 77 now it's just his whole life and I saw an interview with Alan Sherman his son today who says he's looking real healthy and chomping at the bit um do you ever get that lust to get back in the saddle, or are you still riding a little bit? Um, well, I never had a horse that nice to ride. I mean, I, that's part of the thing. And, and you know, I rode 20 years ago. Um, it's it, it's a different scenario now for girls. It's much more fun. I'm sure the girls are having a better time. It's a tough life, and I wasn't a natural lightweight, so I don't miss the non-food part. Mm. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's, it's definitely it's it's exciting, I think, for everyone to be a part of a good horse. You know, working for the people that I work for at the Strata Group, we've had some amazing horses. And, um, you know, I remember when we won the Breeders' Cup with Ghost Sapper and mm-hmm. Texas. That was probably one of the most exciting days from the chair I've ever been in, and I had a great time. So I think it's infectious enough that it would, um, it's, it's great for everyone, no matter what part, if we can just 
get people to really believe that it's an honestly good sport at that level, yeah. and it is, and it really is. Yeah, that's great. Well, I will say for you, Stacy, she's a tiny little thing, people, so don't let her give this, you know, but uh, you tell those stories about having to hang, you know, a blanket around or something in the changing room because um, women have, you know, just breaking into the industry only a few decades ago, uh, but it is getting easier. Do they have their own locker rooms now? <laughs> Well, yeah, no, and it's funny because uh, in, in Kentucky in April this year at Keeneland, they had a lot of girl jockeys come, and, and there were some amazing women that had been in racing, like Barbara Jo Rubin. You know, women that really were uh, trailblazers, the guys walked out of the room, said they wouldn't ride with them. That never happened to me. But I remember riding an amateur race in the early 90s, and I had to literally change in a, in a broom closet. Mm-hmm. Um, nowadays, like at Woodbine, you, there is a girl's room. They have their own lockers. They have everything, even their own valets. So they are um, as, you know, as equal as you can be riding with 75% or 90% guys in any race. Yeah. Right, right, good. Well, we look forward to seeing that too. So what are you riding these days? What kind of horse do you climb up on? Uh, well, I still gallop horses at Woodbine in the morning, uh, a couple each day when I'm around just to, to keep fit. I like that action. It's a, it's a pretty intense fitness, so I like that. And then we have um, some retirees at Adina North, which um, are retraining projects. Um, they don't usually stick around too long anymore. They have, they're such nice horses. Uh, we don't really have a, a real difficult time finding um, the good sound ones homes. Um, so we have a few of those projects going on all the time. And uh, then I have my two trail horses at home who, when I'm not too busy, they're lucky enough for me to get out there and take them for a trail ride. Yeah, Yeah, that's good. You live in a beautiful part of Canada, and I'm glad you get out in the trees a little bit more, too. I'm just glad the snow's gone. (laughs) Yeah, finally, huh? You had a late snow, too. Yeah. Yeah, so tell us tell us about your passion for the the rehoming. Do you are these uh, used for therapeutics? Where do you put the thoroughbreds back into a job? Um, Well, you know. all of our horses here at Adina, we try and find a forever loving homes. That's our mandate. Um, you know, we don't mind if people resell them as long as we're part of that contract. We try and follow a contract with the horse. It doesn't always work. We have had a, a few accidents and things that we, you know, weren't fortunate. But that's the same, I think, in any um, in anything. People don't always look after their dogs or their children as good as they should. So yeah. who's to say that it would? It, it's a perfect world for horses after we let them go. But it does work out most of the time, and that's a good thing. Um, we like to see our horses be used um, for whatever they're they're capable of doing, and nothing exceeding their expectations. So, um, if he's good at eventing and he looks like he'd be a nice eventer and he's sound, and then we'll move it on. We have had horses that are not exactly um, going to make it in a, another com- competition world um, become trail ride, riding horses, or okay. we've even had some therapy horses, um, you know, group therapy where horses will share on-the-ground experiences with people, such like your dad does, and, and kind of, um, and, that's, and that's been neat to see a couple horses go and do that. Yeah, that is. I'm sure that's rewarding, too. Do you have lots of volunteers? Do you ever need more volunteers? How is that? Um, well, you know, we never, we have, uh, we don't really need volunteers. We have a really great program in that um, we function through our farm in Florida. The horses, when they're retired, they're sent there, and they're turned out with the older guys to sort of straighten them out. That's, I think that's an important part of retraining is letting horses just be horses for a while. And, and sometimes an old gelding can teach more than anyone. And then, um, then they'll come up uh, when they've had some time off, um, maybe six months, maybe mm-hmm. less or more. And uh, we start, you know, working on the ground with them, doing some line work and then riding them. And, 
Yeah, it's, uh, we, we just basically do them 10 at a time. So we don't have volunteers at the farm, but um, through the other organizations that we help fund, uh, like Florida Track, New Vocations, or um, all those kind of things, Mid-Atlantic, their Reds, they all have, um, they have volunteers and a great system of, of retraining horses through volunteer programs. Great. Well, we'll put those websites up uh, on the show notes so that people can support that, too. Um, You know, you made me think of something with that gelding horse, that solid um, buddy horse, we call it. And when we were working with the veterans this last week, and I know that you you were part of that, um, that's a real strong theme in um, veterans, too. Going into the war and coming out of the war is creating for someone to lean on a buddy, a mentor, if you will, in some cases, or sometimes it's just uh, somebody who's worked with them closely um, in when they're seeing action. Um, how, what do you what do you think about that? Is that something that you feel like a gelding does well for not only other horses but people too? Oh yeah, for sure. I I think uh, you know I have this one gelding. I actually turned a horse out with when I got home from California the other day, and I call him the Tibetan monk. Like, nothing frazzles him. So, they'll, you know, the new guys come and they try and bully him. It's like, whatever, whatever. <laughs> hey, you know, I'm not, we're not dealing with that. I'm not doing it. And I think it's so important to have um, an influence, you know, whether we're dealing with the veterans or children or horses together, an influence that's solidly set in the ground and, mm-hmm. and learn that by example that it's okay to let that go and just be normal. And you're not that, you're not that anymore. Like, you don't need to be what you were on the other side of the fence before you came in here. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I think, I think having, um, you know, we all need that, a go-to place, the, something to, you know, to, to ground ourselves. It's important to be um, creative, but it's also important to be grounded, I, mm-hmm. I believe, yeah. So. Yeah, good. Um, I think it's important, too, to share with people that you were involved in the production, heavily involved, you were producing the Saratoga War Horse um, production in 2013. Do you want us to, to know a little bit about that? I, I think it won the um, Eclipse Award, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, it did. It was a group effort. I mean, there's a great team at HRTV um, in California there that came out and helped me with it. It was sort of put in my lap. Um, it wasn't some, you know, genius uh, reporting on my part by any hand. It, it mm. came to me from someone else. So that was great. And they were just, uh, you know, I, for me, and uh, I've seen, um, you know, a lot of neat things at horses because I'm so young. And um, <laughs> there's been, uh, um, I, I really, it really instills in me time and time again, it's so important, the horse, in our healing in life. In, in so many ways, and uh, it was just another affirmation experience that um, we, it's a gift. We are, we're, we're totally gifted by having horses in our lives um, because they are truly humble, noble healers um, with a quirky sense of humor that, um, you know, really, it, it just uh, makes us better people. That's wonderful. Well, you know what? I love advocates for horses, so this is why Stacy and I uh, formed a strong friendship last week, and um, I want to hear a lot more from you, Stacy. And I'm really glad that you could carve out a little time for us. I know you have a busy week because we took most of your week last week, <laughs> and you're on catch-up mode. But I would love to have you back if you would um, and uh, share with us more about your life um, that is totally filled with horses, which is what every envious woman wants. I think yeah, if no, they no, don't no. have it. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, anytime, Deb. It's been great, and it's been great working with you. And, uh, you know, I just want to say that I, I really think that, you know, when I went um, to your farm the other day, um, more more than anything was the uh, amount of resources of really incredible people mm-hmm. um, that you brought together that was, uh, for me, you know, just like another layer of being able to, you know, delve into this idea, these works of, of finding um, a way to get out to the layman that this is an important aspect of our life, the horse. It always has been, but um, it shouldn't, you know, I don't think they belong in zoos yet. So, mm, good. Well, happy to have another voice in there with us, Stacey. Thank you. Okay. All right. Thank you, Stacey Clark, for joining us on Horsemanship Radio. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I know that I'm transforming the lives of horses globally. You can learn to do it, too, on my Equus Online University. There's a new lesson on there each week, all the way from join-up to advanced. Watch world's champions give their lessons. Join at MontyRoberts.com. Go to my Equus Online University You can transform your horse, too. Monty Roberts, known as the man who listens to horses, has led an extraordinary life. He still leads it, by the way. He's an award-winning trainer of championship horses, nine world's championships in the show ring, and a best-selling author, Hollywood stuntman, foster dad to 47 children, in addition to three of his wonderful own, and the creator of gentle equine training technique called Join Up, using the horse's own language, Equus. Welcome, Monty Roberts. Hi, Dad. Debbie. Hey. I'm happy to be here with you today. I'm so glad you're back. We've missed you. Yeah, I missed you all, too, and I'm really tired. I'm off the road now and got my feet up. Good. I'm glad you're, yeah, for about 10 minutes, I'm sure that's true. (laughs) But uh, we've been following you, all our listeners. We've been listening to your schedule all the way through Europe and back and into England and helping the queen and we've been we've been following your tracks maybe maybe it's a little easier on us than you but we're happy to have you back we're excited because we had uh, a few weeks ago and the listeners have probably all heard by now um, a wonderful episode that uh, one of the couples that gave us information was about liberty training and we yeah. caught up with them on tour with you in germany uh, yeah. we had marco from italy he's italian and we had Christiana, who's um, German, but living in Italy, and they're working together in, I guess, the big old uh, name for it would be Liberty Training. And yep. we had fun. It was a wonderful episode. We learned a lot, but we thought we wanted to have you back to talk about your view of what you saw on tour, what you saw Marco do, why he was on tour with you, what made Marco different, why why did you put Marco, of all Liberty trainers that we hear about all over the world every day, why did you put Marco on tour with you? And we had mentioned in the last episode about Florian Oberpoliter from Austria, and so we talked a little bit about his talents and abilities, um, but we'd like to hear about the experience, um, what is Liberty training, and then is there Liberty training that's different than that, and um, we'll just let you talk to us. Well, you've touched on one of the most exciting subjects that I can think of in the horse industry today. The major part of the horse industry globally is backyard sort of pleasure horses, horses for the free time rider. It's not professional people. 
they're out front and they're on TV and everything. But it's the casual rider that owns this industry, about 70%. Mm -hmm. So I'm so excited because I've watched this industry say, oh, go have fun with your horse, play games with your horse and all of this kind of thing. And it's good. I don't, I'm not putting that down. It's true. Mm-hmm. But there is liberty training and there is liberty training. Okay. Liberty. It's, a, it's an interesting word that we as Americans ought to keep next to our bed and just look at it every once in a while. Liberty. Freedom. Mm-hmm. It means the right to choose. Mm-hmm. It means the right to do what you want to do. So... Liberty training has, in its roots, whip-breaking. That's what liberty training was. I was there all through the early 40s and straight through the 40s. How do you get a horse to come to you when he's out in the middle of a field running at you and then stand up on his hind legs and strike out and all of those things? Mm -hmm. Attack horses and horses that lie down, roll over, jump up on a pedestal and all those things. Uh, Whip them. Whip them until the blood's running out of their legs. Mm. You, you know, I have all these Liberty trainers from Hollywood out to kill me. I mean, they want to kill me. Mm. Uh, there's one guy that came to my booth and was standing in front of my booth in Michigan or somewhere saying, this guy needs to die now because they don't want to be uncovered. Liberty training mm. has been whip training. And so I was in Germany about three or four years ago, training horses there. And a young man had come to my uh, special clinic here in California, and he was Austrian. And he went back to Austria, and then he knew that I was going to be in Bremen, Germany on this date. So he came to see me, and he said, you know, I really want to liberty train horses, and I've been trying, but, oh, boy, these guys are tough on horses, and it really flies in the face of your principles. And he said, what do I have to do with liberty training that would cause you to endorse it, that you Mm -hmm. would be happy with it? I said, there's no problem at all. If you can train the horse without pain, whips, uh, tying their legs, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. bringing pain to them, I will endorse it. Oh, well, I knew when I sent him away, he can't do that. You can't make a horse. You can't make a horse. There's me, old timer. You can't make a horse do these things without hurting him. I've watched it all my life. Mm -hmm. Well, this little turkey went home, and he (laughs) called me back, and every whip that he had was made like a giddy-up rope, puffy yarn. And you couldn't cause pain with it. And he trained a couple of horses with no pain at all. And I can tell if they've been trained with pain now. And anybody can that's a horseman. Mm -hmm. And these horses had not been administered pain. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he was getting the job done. Of course, you can't do some things that they do with all this pain. There's a few things that you can't do. You can't get them to lay their their ears back on their neck and and open their mouth and come at you with both front feet. Um, That's difficult to do without causing pain. But that's not necessary, and it's not what you want them to do. Not so very attractive anyway, either, yeah. I, I, I had this guy come to California and do some lessons on our online university, mm-hmm. and it, they went over well. And he's a nice young man. Oberpeilauter is his last name. Mm-hmm. His Florian first name, Florian Oberpeilauter. Mm-hmm. And um, 
So later on, this uh, Christiana Müller brought from, she's a German girl, brought one of her students to me called, you, first thing you have to do if you want to train um, Liberty Horses is get a funny last name, because this guy is Marco Pai. That's how you say his name. Okay. And I, I saw him, and I saw his horse, Ercole. And he could do things with Ercole with no pain administered. Now, the one thing that he did do was feed from the hand. And he's going back now to correct some of those mistakes because the horse wants to get food out of his pockets and everything. Oh, um, yeah. But I took him on tour with me five stops in Germany recently, and he was a bang hit. I mean, the sensation with these people. Yeah, people uh, liked it, huh? We, oh, they loved it. And uh, they voted him three out of five times the, the best event of the night. And there I am doing the other four. <laughs> so what, how does that make me feel? Yeah, but, what have you I got mean, started here? Yeah. <laughs> well, he's a trained horse, and it's something brand new on the exactly. face of the earth. That's wonderful. And every, anybody that is relatively ambulatory can get around, walk, and talk, uh-huh. and chew uh-huh. gum, uh, can learn to do these things. You think? You can learn to do it. Okay. Uh, so I'm, gonna, I'm trying to get it set up to take him on tour with me this autumn in, uh, in England, and then to hand out his cards and stuff and encourage the English people to go to Italy and uh, take lessons from him. But uh, it's exciting, Debbie, because it could open a whole new world for leisure, not only leisure riders, but leisure horse lovers mm-hmm. that don't even want to ride, that have them in a field and just want to play games with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have to get a big whip and start banging on them mm-hmm. to get them to do the things you want them to do. That's nice. Well, now you say that. play. it sounds like playing games sounds like some of those things that those programs have been out there, though. How is this different? I I understand freedom of choice, but tell me a little bit more. Well, the first thing you do when uh, a lot of the people that uh, advocate for this playing of games, first thing you do is get a whip and give it a different name. You name it something, (laughs) and uh, each each of these people around the world will have a whip of a different color. Now, I'm, I'm not putting them down. They do what they do. You can watch it and accept it or or reject it. I'm just telling you that when you have a whip, and as soon as that horse throws an ear on it when you move it, you know he's been hit with it. Mm. doesn't take a genius to figure that out. Mm-hmm. And um, so they use those whips. They may not in, in um, public audiences use them so much because they have their horses trained and they can make it look very, very uh, gentle. And mm-hmm. people will sit there with tears in their eyes. But I know that the horses are whipped broken. Mm-hmm. That's a fact. And uh, I've got two guys now that are opening the door for training these same kind of things okay. with no pain. So is there a roadmap that they're going to give us these guys? Or is that something you're creating with them right now uh, for um, oh, yeah. I'm, where I'm, to start? I'm, I'm mentoring them, Debbie. I'm mentoring okay. them. But on the other hand, I don't know the nuances of their early training procedures, and it is the early training procedures that are apt to be the most egregious. Mm -hmm. So uh, you want to watch that. But I can tell when they've used harsh early training techniques. By the horse. You can can read the horse. The reactions of the horse, yeah. So uh, sure, there will be roadmaps later as these people 
go into the business of it, I suppose, if they want to teach it anyway. That's my goal in the thing. I don't, I don't want to advocate for these people to just train behind the barn somewhere and then come out and do a circus act at the big show mm-hmm. and uh, not tell anybody how to do it. I want everybody to learn how to do it. Yeah. Well, it sounds fun. I mean, it sounds like something that no matter what discipline, whatever breed, people can just recreationally have something to do with their horse that's, I guess, like dog trading, right? It's an agility training. Uh, uh, a, a, a lot like that, a lot mm-hmm. like that, Debbie. And uh, the dogs are often done with love and care and concern. Right. Right. Um, and the horses can be too. And you Tell know, me like about coming tr- up to the mounting block um, right. that we have on our online uni, uh, horses that move sideways and come to you on the mounting block, uh, I guess you could train that with a whip, but we've learned how to train it with no whips necessary at all. That's right. Choice again. Now, some people, I've watched the mounting block done before with treats. Uh, tell me about Marco's and Florian's uh, philosophies on treats. I, I I know where yours stand, but you can incorporate this however you like. Yeah, well, you know, I, I suppose I'm pushing the envelope a bit to say never feed from the hand. But once you go down that path, you're opening a lot of doors for problems. And I don't think that we should feed a horse from the hand. It's not a good reward. It is not. Um, a, no blade of grass has ever run from a horse, so they don't have to stock down their food and, and call it a trophy. Um, so they don't regard food as a reward. And then they become very bulky and, and um, yeah. uh, very aggressive about mauling your body for food eventually. And uh, Hercule is is displaying some of those tendencies. And the stallion will display them more readily than... uh, He is a stallion, that's right, right? Marco's uh, Hercule, his horse that he's used. Yes, he's a stallion. Mm -hmm. So do you... Do you caution people on using a stallion? Like, um, if Marco is, is a, an advanced well, trainer... I never, I, be, yeah. Debbie, I never recommend that uh, a casual rider, um, a horse lover that goes out on trail rides with other people and stuff, I never recommend the use of a stallion at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not, not acceptable. Mm-hmm. Just too, too difficult, too dangerous for the, the recreational Yeah, ride. and it's yeah. dangerous for everybody around. I mean, they mm-hmm. are animals, and they will go back to their roots, Um mm-hmm from time to time, and and you can't expect them not to. Okay, let me peel this liberty training back just one more level, and we'll see where your comfort level goes with this, because I know you're still in development. But um, we we often see the the, uh, kneeling down, maybe laying down. We see um, riding with liberty and no bridle. We even see it go all the way to hobbling. And so now I've given you a big gamut. You tell us what you're seeing in there. Well, I, I don't mind teaching a horse to kneel down, that's for sure. And you can do it without banging on the horse or causing him pain. You, you can do it. Um, there are a few things you have to you know, abide by and get to know about, but you can do it. And I don't mind riding uh, at liberty but I'm not a bridleless rider for the pleasure rider, for the leisure rider out on the trail. Uh, this business of running up and down the beach with your hair flying and the waves coming <laughs> up to your horse's knees is ridiculous. Um, Sounds I, beautiful, I but I, I know what you mean, yeah. I don't like the bridleless riding. I just don't. Um, yeah. There's some people that do it well, but my, my demographics, I've got to try to keep people safe, and I want them to have 
a chance to alter a horse's behavior if it goes awry. And uh, uh, you can put your hand down and there's no pressure on the reins, that's okay, but have that bit there so that you can be uh, be safe. Yeah. And um, so I don't mind kneeling down, I don't mind riding uh, on it, and, and um, Marco stood up on the horse's back, stood up on his hips, slid off of his uh, backside, uh, went under his belly and all of that sort of thing. And um, he has, this horse has the greatest respect for him. Uh, he can, he can fool around this horse and act like he's, you know, just making a game of the whole thing and even kick out and, and, and uh, bounce his front end up at times. He's a Frisian, mm-hmm. a big stallion. And yet when he stands up on his back, that horse gets dead serious and he stands mm-hmm. like a statue. Oh, really? And when he goes under his belly, he gets dead serious, and he stands like a statue. He's a partner with Marco. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, and he's just absolutely beautiful. People will have to go on the show notes and the website and see the beautiful photo. I wish it was in video, but, but maybe we'll eventually have some a uni lesson up there or YouTube that people can see his beauty. Yeah, and they, they ought to become friends with us on our Facebook page. Thank and you. Uh, see, right. see, see the things that are happening virtually on a daily basis because uh, I'm 79 years old, but this motor hasn't died yet, and uh, I'm still going, and it's, it's fun. It's fun. I'm doing things, uh, some things that are career new mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Um, there's several things that are happening that are absolutely new. Um, Ritualistic habituation, we've talked mm-hmm. about on your radio program before, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, I work with a, a very aggressive yearling thoroughbred filly in England. It's mm-hmm. all brand new. Have you ever heard of a yearling filly being aggressive enough to put five people in the hospital, three of them in one day? Uh, it's just unbelievable. And a bloodline that uh, won't quit. So it, you just got to see what you can do. Yeah, yeah, beautifully bred. She's she's worth about three quarters of a million dollars. Mm, yeah. yeah. Well, that'll be fun to hear. No, we've kept up with you, but we love hearing whatever whatever you can share and as the progress goes and all the new things that are happening. It, it is so unbelievable, exciting. the pace. Yeah. So exciting this week, Debbie, that we have our, um, our instructors conference, global mm-hmm. instructors conference here at the farm. And uh, we'll be updating our instructors on new things, and they'll be talking about the the organization and how it comes together and rules, regulations, and so forth and so on. Mm, yeah. uh, very exciting. And Dr. Uh, – I think he's a doctor, isn't he? Uh, yes, Dr. Uh, McLean. Yep, we had mm-hmm. him on. Uh, Dr. Andrew McLean from Australia. He'll be there to, to give us a talk. He uh, um, He endorses a totally different set of procedures than I use. Uh, absolutely different, but I'm in for in- innovation, and I'm in for keeping an open mind. I'll have mm-hmm. a look, and if you show me a better way, that'll be my way tomorrow. Our training tip is from Debbie Metcalf of netposse.com. Welcome back, Debbie Metcalf. Thanks for agreeing to come back representing Stolen Horse International and netposse.com. We're so excited to have you give us a little tidbit today, uh, an important horsemanship tip to share. Well, I'm so happy to be back, Debbie. You know me, I've always got something to say about something. (laughs) So today it's an equine tip, uh, 
as far as ID. Is that what you would like to have today? Yes, that's a great tip. Tell us how to do that. Okay, it's really important for people to have some type of ID on their horses for many reasons. Uh, You know, we, we are proponents of any type of ID. It's really what you want to do to your horse. But when people ask me what I prefer, because of what I do, you know, working with missing horses like I do, I know what's easiest and best, whether people believe me or not. But, you know, every horse should have a microchip. And that, and people say, well, who's going to scan them at horse auctions? Who's going to scan them at slaughter facilities, which we don't have in the U.S. right now. But, you know, who's going to scan them? Well, don't worry about that. Put the microchip in. It's the easiest, the fastest, and the cheapest thing that you can do. And the, the microchip travels with your horse. It serves as your serial number and your VIN number. And there's a multitude of uses for that. Like take disasters, for example. If your horse gets out in a disaster, you know, disaster teams scan those horses for microchips. Oh, right. If your horse just gets out and runs down the road, and we had one of these cases this week where a horse just walked up in somebody's driveway. Well, they had, their daughter was a vet, and they scanned the horse. The horse didn't have a microchip. Well, the horse could have gone home immediately. You never know who's going to scan the horse, but you always want to be prepared in case you have to. That's great. So I didn't even think about the different circumstances. So now I'm thinking about my horse. Tell us actually how you put a chip. It sounds like a big surgical procedure. Oh, no. It's real simple. And, you know, years ago in in 2003, we were the first ones that started the Microchip Your Own Horse program. You used to have to go to the vet to get your microchip. And, you know, what do horse owners do most often when it comes to giving their horses shots? They do it themselves. Yeah. Well, microchips are in a syringe, and if you're a confident person when you give shots to your horses, and let me footnote that, I'm not. I am not one of these people. I'm not going to even stick an orange with a needle. I don't like them. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm I'm not qualified for this. But if I didn't have my husband here who has no problem with it, then I would call my vet to do it and okay. have them put them in. But we started the uh, Microchip Your Own Horse program where you could get the microchips one at a time if you needed it and then put them in your own horse. You have to put them in your own horse. You can't put them in anybody else's horse. And that makes them less expensive for the horse owner. And once we started doing that as a fundraiser for Stolen Horse International, and it still is, then the microchip companies changed the way they sell microchips. Great. So you, you actually influenced the whole industry. Oh, we did. That's great. We did. You know, again, not something we planned on, mm-hmm. just like we didn't plan on doing Stolen Horse International. Mm-hmm. But we like the microchip first. We also like to see a visible ID, and that okay. could be a brand or a lip tattoo. And lip tattoos, you have to flip the lip up. And you'd be surprised how many people pick, you know, have thoroughbreds in their hands and don't even think to do that. Oh, so we have to remind them, have you flipped the lip yet? Yeah, flip the lip. And you can go on Internet, too, and look up those. If you find a horse with a serial number, am I right? And, and look you up can. their serial number and it's find out. As, it's not as easy as you think sometimes. Mm-hmm. And even with the brand, a lot of people brand their horses but don't register the brands. So, uh-huh. you know, brands are great visible IDs and visible uh, deterrents for theft, but they're terrible tracebacks if the horse is out of the state where it's registered. Because uh, if my horse here in North Carolina ends up with you in California, Deb, how are you going to mm. trace that brand? 
Yeah. How really do you good. know it goes back to North Carolina? But if you got a scanner and scanned my horse, then you know exactly who owns it. Because all of our horses have microchips and brands. So if somebody goes to netposse.com and they have found a horse and have scanned it, can they put that information in your system too? Yes, they can. Okay. There yes, we go. Yes, they can. We have found that not every horse out there that's running loose has been dumped off, which is the climate these days with the recession. You know, people forget sometimes that they just get out. And a horse can go miles down the road, even cross county or state lines. And that really makes it hard to get them back to where they go, even if they're just a few miles from home. You know, sometimes the agencies that are supposed to be keeping records of this get bogged down in other things and don't, you know, sure. don't tell the person when they call in and says, has anybody found a horse? And they have found it, and they may even have it in custody, but if the oh. right person doesn't answer the phone, right. then the answer would be no. And that happened with the case here this week with us, another case. And I even told the lady, I said, you've got this horse. Um, what agencies did you call? And she told me, I said, well, keep calling them back every day. And I told her why. And we put it out on the Internet, and the information came in to the person who had lost the horse. And sure enough, she had been calling the agencies that I'm talking about saying, I've lost a horse. Has anybody reported it found? And at the same time, the lady that found the horse was calling the same agency saying, I found a horse. Has anybody lost one? Gosh. So, that's frustrating. Well, that's a great tip. I think we're all like now worried that we've got to get a, uh, we've got to get a syringe in our hands and get our horses chipped. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, help us out. <laughs> help us out by getting the microchips through us. But you know, we have the instructions and everything. But yeah. you don't have to do it yourself. You know, next time your vet comes out, just have them have the kit there and um, let them put it in, but test them. See if they know where it goes. It it goes halfway between the withers and the pole on the left side of the neck. And it goes into the nuchal ligament, not under the skin like a dog or a cat. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, in in Solvang, California, August 4th through 8th, the Monty Special Training we keep talking about. There's still room in that, so please have to contact us about that real quickly. Um, Also, we're now going to jump to October, where he'll be in England again. October 5, he'll be at Maristwood College. October 16, he'll be at the Arena UK in Lancashire. October 18, Myers Co. College. In October 22, he'll be at the Grange. October 24, Hartbury College. October 30, Greenlands. And November 1st, he wraps up in Glen Eagle, Scotland, a beautiful spot. Well, you can find out more about Monty Roberts and the whole organization at MontyRoberts.com. You can also see his calendar there, or you can give them a call at 805-688-6288. Always adding things to the calendar, Mm -hmm. so keep an eye on on a regular basis. 
For details about today's show, go to horsemanshipradio.com, where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests that we have had. And all the past episodes are there as well. So if you missed the first 16, you can go back and take a listen to all of them at horsemanshipradio.com. You can also find them on uh, the free app that Horse Radio Network provides. Whether you have iOS or Android, just go to the App Store, search for Horse Radio Network, download it. It's free. It's easy. It's the simplest way to listen to the shows Mm -hmm. and as always we love your feedback please follow us on facebook and at facebook.com slash monty roberts or on twitter at twitter.com slash monty underscore roberts that's right and many thanks to our sponsors wouldn't be possible without you be sure to visit all the other great shows too on horse radio network www.horseradionetwork.com and until next time have many happy horse hours (laughs) 